This episode of Getting the Word with Truth's Table is brought to you by IVP. Revival starts when people pray together, but maybe you long for something more than just another prayer meeting. Keep listening to learn more about how intercession can transform the world in Carolyn Carney's new book, The Power of Group Prayer. And by Truth's Table. If you've been blessed by these daily audio Bible podcast readings, please consider supporting Truth's Table on Patreon at patreon.com slash truthstable. This is IVP. Get in the Word with Truth's Table. Your word is truth, your word is life. Presented by Innervar City Press. Your word is truth, your word is life. A daily audio Bible podcast read by Dr. Christina Edmondson. And Akemeni Uwen. Let's get in the word and may the word get in us. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. Old Testament reading, Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 17 through chapter 30, verse 19. In the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the Lord's message came to me. Son of man, King Nebuchadrezzar of Babylon made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was rubbed bald and every shoulder rubbed bare, yet he and his army received no wages from Tyre for the work he carried out against it. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm about to give the land of Egypt to King Nebuchadrezzar of Babylon. He will carry off her wealth, capture her loot, and seize her plunder. It will be his army's wages. I have given him the land of Egypt as his compensation for attacking Tyre. Because they did it for me, declares the Sovereign Lord. On that day I will make Israel powerful, and I will give you the right to be heard among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 30 A Lament Over Egypt The Lord's message came to me, Son of man, prophesy and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Wail, alas, the day is here, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of storm clouds. It will be a time of judgment for the nations. A sword will come up against Egypt, and panic will overtake Ethiopia when the slain fall in Egypt, and they carry away her wealth and dismantle her foundations. Ethiopia, Put, Lud, all the foreigners, Libya, and the people of the covenant land will die by the sword along with them. This is what the Lord says. Egypt's supporters will fall. Her confident pride will crumble. From Migdal to Syene, they will die by the sword within her, declares the Sovereign Lord. They will be desolate among desolate lands, and their cities will be among ruined cities. They will know that I am the Lord when I ignite a fire in Egypt, and all her allies are defeated. 
On that day, messengers will go out from me in ships to frighten overconfident Ethiopia. Panic will overtake them on the day of Egypt's doom, for beware, it is coming. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will put an end to the hordes of Egypt by the hand of King Nebuchadrezzar of Babylon. He and his people with him, the most terrifying of the nations, will be brought there to destroy the land. They will draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with corpses. I will dry up the waterways and hand the land over to evil men. I will make the land and everything in it desolate by the hand of foreigners. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will destroy the idols and put an end to the gods of Memphis. There will no longer be a prince from the land of Egypt, so I will make the land of Egypt fearful. I will desolate Pathros. I will ignite a fire in Zoan, and I will execute judgments in Thebes. I will pour out my anger upon Pelusium, the stronghold of Egypt. I will cut off the hordes of Thebes. I will ignite a fire in Egypt. Syene will writhe in agony. Thebes will be broken down, and Memphis will face enemies every day. The young men of On and Pi by Seth will die by the sword, and the cities will go into captivity. In Taphanasus, the day will be dark. When I break the yoke of Egypt there, her confident pride will cease within her. A cloud will cover her, and her daughters will go into captivity. I will execute judgments on Egypt. They will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 48, the tribal portions. These are the names of the tribes, from the northern and beside the road of Hethlon to Lebo-Hamoth, as far as Hazar-Enon, which is on the border of Damascus, towards the north beside Hamath, extending from the east side to the west. Dan will have one portion. Next to the border of Dan, from the east side to the west side, Asher will have one portion. Next to the border of Asher, from the east side to the west side, Naphtali will have one portion. Next to the border of Naphtali, from the east side to the west side, Manasseh will have one portion. Next to the border of Manasseh, from the east side to the west side, Ephraim will have one portion. Next to the border of Ephraim, from the east side to the west side, Reuben will have one portion. Next to the border of Reuben, from the east side to the west side, Judah will have one portion. Next to the border of Judah, from the east side to the west side, will be the allotment you must set apart. It is to be eight and one-fourth miles wide, and the same length as one of the tribal portions, from the east side to the west side. The sanctuary will be in the middle of it. The allotment you set apart to the Lord will be eight and one-fourth miles in length, and three and one-third miles in width. These will be the allotments for the holy portion, for the priest, towards the north, eight and one-fourth miles in length, towards the west, three and one-third miles in width, towards the east, three and one-third miles in width, and towards the south, eight and one-fourth miles in length. The sanctuary of the Lord will be in the middle. This will be for the priests, who are set apart from the descendants of Zadok, who kept my charge and did not go astray when the people of Israel strayed off, as the Levites did. It will be their portion for the allotment of the land, a most holy place next to the border of the Levites. Alongside the border of the priests, the Levites will have an allotment eight and one-fourth miles in length and three and one-third miles in width. The whole length will be eight and one-fourth miles and the width three and one-third miles. They must not sell or exchange any of it. They must not transfer this choice portion of land, for it is set apart to the Lord. The remainder, one and two-third miles in width and eight and one-fourth miles in length, 
will be for common use by the city, for houses, and for open space. The city will be in the middle of it. These will be its measurements. The north side will be one and one-half miles, the south side one and one-half miles, the east side one and one-half miles, and the west side one and one-half miles. The city will have open spaces. On the north, there will be 437 and a half feet. On the south, 437 and a half feet. On the east, 437 and a half feet. And on the west, 437 and a half feet. The remainder of the length alongside the holy allotment will be three and one-third miles to the east and three and one-third miles towards the west. And it will be beside the holy allotment. Its produce will be food for the workers of the city. The workers of the city from all the tribes of Israel will cultivate it. The allotment will be eight and one-fourth miles square. You must set apart the holy allotment with the possession of the city. The rest on both sides of the holy allotment and the property of the city will belong to the prince. Extending from the eight and one-fourth miles of the holy allotment to the east border and westward from the eight and one-fourth miles to the west border, alongside the portions, it will belong to the prince. The holy allotment and the sanctuary of the temple will be in the middle of it. The property of the Levites and of the city will be in the middle of that which belongs to the prince. The portion between the border of Judah and the border of Benjamin will be for the prince. As for the rest of the tribes, from the east side to the west side, Benjamin will have one portion. Next to the border of Benjamin, from the east side to the west side, Simeon will have one portion. Next to the border of Simeon, from the east side to the west side, Ishakar will have one portion. Next to the border of Ishakar, from the east side to the west side, Zebulun will have one portion. Next to the border of Zebulun, from the east side to the west side, Gad will have one portion. Next to the border of Gad, at the south side, the border will run from Tamar to the waters of Meribath Kadesh, to the stream of Egypt, and to the Great Sea. This is the land that you will allot to the tribes of Israel, and these are their portions, declares the Sovereign Lord. These are the exits of the city. On the north side, one and one-half miles by measure, the gates of the city will be named for the tribes of Israel. There will be three gates to the north, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah, and one gate for Levi. On the east side, one and one-half miles in length, there will be three gates, one gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, and one gate for Dan. On the south side, one and one-half miles by measure, there will be three gates, one gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, and one gate for Zebulun. On the west side, one and one-half miles in length, there will be three gates, one gate for Gad, one gate for Asher, and one gate for Naphtali. The circumference of the city will be six miles. The name of the city from that day forward will be, The Lord is There. New Testament Reading Acts chapter 24 through chapter 25 Chapter 24 The Accusations Against Paul after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney named Tertullus, and they brought formal charges against Paul to the governor. When Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, We have experienced a lengthy time of peace through your rule, and reforms are being made in this nation through your foresight. Most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this everywhere and in every way with all gratitude. 
But so that I may not delay you any further, I beg you to hear us briefly with your customary graciousness. For we have found this man to be a troublemaker, one who stirs up riots from all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, so we arrested him. When you examine him yourself, you will be able to learn from him about all these things we are accusing him of doing. The Jews also joined in the verbal attack, claiming that these things were true. Paul's defense before Felix. When the governor gestured for him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know that you have been a judge over this nation for many years, I confidently make my defense. As you can verify for yourself, not more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. They did not find me arguing with anyone or staring up a crowd in the temple courts or in the synagogues or throughout the city, nor can they prove to you the things they are accusing me of doing. But I confess this to you, that I worship the God of our ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that is according to the law and that is written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, a hope that these men themselves accept too, that there is going to be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the reason I do my best to always have a clear conscience towards God and towards people. After several years, I came to bring to my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings, which I was doing when they found me in the temple, ritually purified without a crowd or a disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who should be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these men here should tell what crime they found me guilty of when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing I shouted out while I stood before them, I am on trial before you today concerning the resurrection of the dead. Then Felix, who understood the facts concerning the way more accurately, adjourned their hearing, saying, When Lysias, the commanding officer, comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to guard Paul, but to let him have some freedom, and not to prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Paul speaks repeatedly to Felix. Some days later, when Felix arrived with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. While Paul was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for now, and when I have an opportunity, I will send for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would give him money, and for this reason he sent for Paul as often as possible and talked with him. After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because he wanted to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Chapter 25. Paul Appeals to Caesar. Now three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So the chief priests and the most prominent men of the Jews brought formal charges against Paul to him, requesting him to do them a favor against Paul. They urged Festus to summon him to Jerusalem, planning an ambush to kill him along the way. Then Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let your leaders go down there with me, and if this man has done anything wrong, they may bring charges against him. After Festus had stayed, not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he sat on the judgment seat and ordered Paul to be brought. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges that they were not able to prove. 
Paul said in his defense, I have committed no offense against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, asked Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing before Caesar's judgment seat, where I should be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you also know very well. If then I am in the wrong and have done anything that deserves death, I am not trying to escape dying. But if not one of their charges against me is true, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then after conferring with his counsel, Festus replied, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. Festus asked King Agrippa for advice. After several days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. While they were staying there many days, Festus explained Paul's case to the king to get his opinion saying, There is a man left here as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me about him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to hand over anyone before the accused had met his accusers face to face and had been given an opportunity to make a defense against the accusation. So after they came back here with me, I did not postpone the case. But the next day I sat on the judgment seat and ordered the man to be brought. When his accusers stood up, they did not charge him with any of the evil deeds I suspected. Rather, they had several points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a man named Jesus who was dead, whom Paul claimed to be alive. Because I was at a loss, how could I investigate these matters? I asked if he were willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried there on these charges. But when Paul appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of His Majesty the Emperor, I ordered him to be kept under guard until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa said to Festus, I would also like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he replied, you will hear him. Paul before King Agrippa and Bernice. So the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience hall along with the senior military officers and the prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the order, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa, and all of you who are present here with us, you see this man about whom the entire Jewish populace petitioned, me both in Jerusalem and here, shouting loudly that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing that deserved death, and when he appealed to his majesty the emperor, I decided to send him, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this preliminary hearing, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without clearly indicating the charges against him. This is the word of God for the people of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let us go boldly to God's throne of grace. Gracious and just God, we thank you, O Lord, today for your word. We thank you, O God, for the ways in which your word reveals to us your character and your redemptive plan for us. We thank you, O Lord, that you use scripture to build within us a greater understanding of ourselves, our need for you your love for us and your standard of holiness. But there are so many ways that the scriptures of old testify to our even our realities that are 
existing today. Merciful God, we reflect on the life and work of our older brother in the faith, the Apostle Paul. And we thank you, O Lord, for the way that you raised this man up, one who was an enemy of yours and an enemy of your people. And yet you turned his heart. You gave him the mind of Christ in a holy imagination, and you placed into him a persevering will to walk in your way, to do that which you have called him to do, O God. And we thank you for his legacy. We thank you for his words, O God, many of which helped to fill out the New Testament. We thank you, O God, that he suffered for your namesake. And here, as we reflect particularly on the New Testament passages, we are struck by the ways in which he experienced great injustice, great abuse, great disregard and disrespect, and yet did not succumb to the temptation to buy his way out of an unjust system, becoming like it. Instead, he worked within that system, appealing to everything that that system claimed itself to be, appealing even to Caesar, knowing that ultimately he was covered by you. And God, we pray, O Lord, that in times of real and actual persecution, that we would stand, stand by the Spirit to do what is right, what is ethical, and that if we must suffer, let us suffer for your namesake. We pray, O God, that one day and one day very soon that unjust systems will be no more, that there will be uh, no longer people incarcerated without even having clear crimes stated against them, O God. This grieves us so, as we know, for those of us who are listening in the United States, we live in a land with a great, great deal of incarceration. And God, I'm reminded in your word that you remind us to visit the prisoner. And it is not surprising to me that this ethic, this value would be something that the disciples and that the apostles would lift up before your people then and now, that we might care for and consider the prisoner the prisoner who is there because of wrongly doing things, and the prisoner who has been placed there through means of injustice. We thank you, merciful God, that you don't just lock people up and lock them away, but you have called us to see about people. You have called us to recognize that even if we suffer for your name's sake, or even if we suffer as a consequence of our own sins, O God, that we don't somehow lose our humanity that you have placed into us an intrinsic dignity. And I pray, O God, that you would place into each of us a greater commitment to seeing about those who are imprisoned, O Lord. A greater thirst for justice that mirrors your longing for and your thirst for justice and righteousness. I pray, O God, that when we have an experience of being lied about and lied to, and when we face injustice, for your name's sake or because of other reasons related to our life unfairly, we pray, O God, that we would stand firm, that we would not be tempted to become sinful like our accusers, that we would not be tempted to become unjust like those who have been unjust towards us. I pray, O God, that you would grant to us the type of faith that does not cause us through bitterness and desperation to become like those who have harmed us. I pray, O God, that come what may, your will would be done, and that we would maintain a type of integrity, that you would maintain a type of integrity through us, no matter the circumstances, oh God. And so we entrust ourselves to you to continue to do this type of character work within us, to continue to make us holy for you are holy, 
to continue to give us the mind of Christ, O God, that we might stand out, that we might be a conspicuous witness to your glory, your grace, and the reassurance that we are resting in the palm of your hand, no matter what earthly situations look like. Come what may, O God, let your will be done and let your kingdom come. And would you, O God, set your people free. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Christians often dream about the possibility of revival, but revival doesn't come because we wish or plan for it. Revival occurs when groups of people pray together. However, praying together effectively doesn't come easily, and we're often left wondering how to best engage in the work of intercession. In her book, The Power of Group Prayer, Carolyn Carney draws from her decades of ministry experience to equip pastors, small group leaders, or anyone who wants a deeper prayer life to lead others in the kind of prayer that is necessary for effective, resilient ministry. Come to a place of deep intimacy with God as you learn ways to pray in community. As a listener of this podcast, you can get 30% off the power of group prayer, plus free U.S. shipping when you use the promo code, The Word. That's code T-H-E-W-O-R-D at ivypress.com. We pray this time of getting the word with Truth Table has encouraged us all to not only be hearers of God's word, but doers. Share your reflections on these scriptures with us on Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag get in the word and hashtag Truth's Table. Saints, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Go with God. Get in the Word with Truth's Table is a production of InterVarsity Press. For 75 years, IVP has created and published resources that deepen lives for Christ to engage the university, church, and the world. Visit ivpress.com for more information. Our Bible reading plan is from biblestudytogether.com, and the Bible version is the new English translation used by permission. Sound engineering is from Pottery Studios, and our executive producer is Helen Lee. Oh,